You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This is a podcast from Minute Media. The pod like a raven fellas are back after a brief hiatus that feels like it was a six month hiatus. We, we already are missing football and we have some things to talk about, be it the combine, being some Ravens news and other stuff. So we're back. Welcome to Pod Like a Raven. All right, yeah, a little bit of a creaky intro. Uh, you know, we've been off for three weeks, and I'm already rusty. This, this is how these things work, uh, you know, like a professional athlete who stops practicing for two weeks, and then they're like, I got to retire. I can't get back into that grind. Uh, and this is, uh, this is the stage that I'm in, so uh, we're going to try to tighten things up here. I am Antonio Barbera. Thank you for listening to us on Pod Like a Raven, and we are back. After what I think was only three weeks, but truly feels like six months, and we have some things. We have, we we have some football things have happened, including the NFL Combine and a bit of uh, additions and, and potential subtractions on the Ravens front. So we will talk about that as well. But let me bring in my two co-hosts starting on the East Coast. I think uh, Tim Horsey. Tim, it's been three weeks. I, where are you? What are we doing? Where, what state are you living in? Same spot, man. Still <laughs> in the great state of Maryland, hanging out. Yeah, it has. It it feels weird in a way to be doing this um obviously you know we made the announcement that we we're going to go bi-weekly and then straight up just lied to the listeners so apologies about that uh, but there was not much to talk about so i'm happy that there's a few kernels that we can uh you know sink our teeth into a little bit as we as we waited i think it was worth the wait for what we're about to bring you yes we believe in the quality content tim not just the hashtag content the the, the quality stuff on the West Coast, I think Jace uh, out of California, but was in Vegas as of 20 minutes ago or something like that. How you doing, Jace? Yeah, uh, been back for about a whole hour now. Was in Las Vegas for about 48 hours. Uh, taking in some NASCAR was our uh, primary reason for going. Uh, you know, uh, NFL ends and the uh, NASCAR season begins like the next week, basically now. So uh, D- didn't we all know that? Of course, we Tim, all knew that. You yeah. smell the asphalt. You know, it starts yeah. coming around this time of year. President's Day weekend, Daytona 500, baby. We all know that. But uh, <laughs> no, it was uh, it was a fun little trip and had some buddies out here for a few days, and then we went out. Uh, to Vegas for just a quick little trip, but uh, yeah, it's great to be back on the podcast. It does feel like it's been a long time. I too, I think, am glad we took a little break because I think for me, in the immediacy of the Super Bowl, I was incredibly down on the Ravens. I thought the prospects for 2022 were bleak. I stared at the Cincinnati Bengals almost winning the Super Bowl uh, and just thought, 
were in trouble. I looked at all the stars the Rams have and said, we don't have that many stars. Uh, but after some time to sit on it, and especially after this weekend, um, which we'll get into the combine stuff, but to me, it's clear the Ravens should get a good football player in the draft. And that's very exciting based on uh, the events that have unfolded uh, at combine weekend and, you know, team needs all that. So I'm back in a good place. I think, you know, <laughs> the Ravens are going to get a good player in the draft. They're going to be fine. I just, uh, it just, it went dark for like a week there. And I'm glad we didn't record that week to, so that those thoughts aren't just in the air uh, on the feed for See, then that's why you got to get away. That's why you need those few weeks to a few weeks of, uh, a vacation. Jace, we're a team that builds from the inside out, not the outside in. Right. We're not a stars-driven team. We're going to have that that depth and that good drafting, especially this year with a good spot. And that is something that certainly we're going to talk about in the second half of this episode. But to start off, a few Ravens news and notes to go over. And the first one, a positive. The official signing of Tony Jefferson for next season brought back to the Ravens. Uh, was a, a, a Raven for a few years and a fan favorite then had a you know, the major injury that knocked him out for almost a full season and was then not brought back to the team. But he is now back after that little uh, renaissance stint that he had late last year. Uh, mostly a depth signing. I, I don't think Tony Jefferson is going to be starting many games for the Ravens this season. Um, but a, a, a affordable move for depth of a guy who knows the, knows the facility and, and knows the defense, guys he's just like such a classic John Harbaugh guy. It seems certainly in bringing him back. I mean, we've seen this a few times now from the Ravens where they have a player, he leaves, uh, and then it just comes back. Josh Bynes, it's happened three times now or two separate times. Josh Bynes has left and returned. Uh, obviously, uh, Pernell McPhee went, uh, to the bears and I believe Washington for several years before finding his way back to the Ravens. And now Tony Jefferson's the latest one. I think it's great. He's clearly loved in that room. He was loved when he was on the team, his first go around, uh, before he, you know, got sidetracked by injury. Um, so, you know, it's, I don't, on the field, I don't know how much it'll swing one way or the other necessarily, uh, certainly, um, but, for what it's worth, I thought he was one of the <laughs> Ravens' better defensive backs down the stretch. And, uh, you know, I, he's clearly a guy for the room. And, uh, yeah, you can't ever have too much veteran presence, especially uh, for for a team that values that kind of thing. I know Antonio is the ultimate optimist when he starts with this news rather than the news that we have to get to, the news that everybody <laughs> wants to talk about. And we'll get there. Don't worry. Um, yeah, I mean, guy for the room, Jace nailed it. That's exactly what he is. It'll be... Good to have a veteran presence in there, and Harbaugh, I'm sure, loves him. Uh, for me, it's – and, you know, I don't want to take a shot at one player, but frankly, he's the one that I can remember towards the end of the year as I've blacked out most of those dismal performances. Uh, it means less Kevon Seymour's and less guys like that on the back end should injuries happen. So, you know, Tony Jefferson wants a great player in his day. Obviously, age and injuries have caught up with him a little bit, but still, clearly the talent is there, so – it's a break glass in case of emergency type signing, I think. Like depth, depth, depth. That's all it is. But, you know, maybe he provides some more stuff that we don't see just as fans that, you you know, I, I wouldn't say you get excited about. But overall, you know, when, when they're showing the, the, the Super Bowl tape next year and we're all buying the DVD, they're talking about how great, to, how great TJ31 instead of TJ23 is in the locker room <laughs> and how, much, how influential that was that the fans will just never understand. A thing I will say that surprises me every third time I look up Tony Jefferson is he is not 
32, 33. He's 30. He just turned 30 two months ago. This will be his age 30 full season, basically, for the Ravens next year. And that is pleasantly surprising every time I see it, because I assume he's uh, a bit longer in the tooth than he is. So nice to see uh, Tony Jefferson uh, back uh, with the Ravens for at least one more season. Let me get to uh, Ravens talking point number two, which, you know, if you have the chalkboard going, this can be reference number 87 that this podcast has had to Lamar Jackson, still not signed to a long-term deal. That's been discussed in Ravens circles, that's been discussed in NFL circles, now it's the, should he not play this season until he gets a new deal, what are the things that we should do with this, so I'm gonna, I'm gonna still have this at like a, you know, just Edgar level concern, not quite Edgar Allen or Edgar Allen Poe level concern, just the one. Uh, but as we get further and further into this offseason, we may we may add an Allen onto that guy. So are you with me with the one level of concern, or are we uh, are we building yet? I, I'm I'm fine sticking at level one. I, I I think Tim actually talked me a little off the ledge one of the last times we convened, uh, as three weeks have Just passed. Six and years ago, when we did this podcast. <laughs> yeah. yeah, the last time we talked, when and nothing's changed in that all that offseason time. Um, you know. It's interesting to kind of take in Eric DaCosta's comments a bit. He was uh, at, at the uh, at the Combine, um, and he had uh, this to say, is, I think it takes two sides to actively put their heads together and get a deal worked out. We are ready to be there for Lamar at any point. When he decides that he really wants to work on it, we will be. And I think that's why I'm not concerned. I feel like this is a Lamar Jackson side of thing because he doesn't have an agent, so you're kind of at the whims of negotiating with him, like, when he's around, basically. <laughs> and, uh, and, you know, I don't know. He doesn't have an agent who's probably would have be pushing for a deal. Uh, so, you know, to sign at any second so the agent could get that commission or whatever. Um, so it's strange. Uh, you know, obviously prior Eric DaCosta categorized their negotiations as unusual. <laughs> um, but I'm not really worried about it. Like franchise quarterbacks don't go anywhere. And I, I've seen no reason like why uh, the Ravens would not want Lamar back. It certainly seems like they obviously, I mean, Frankly, the Ravens would love to sign Lamar as soon as possible because it would save them money, basically, in the long run. If Lamar has a good bounce-back season, he's going to be more expensive. And the Cowboys kind of saw that with Dak Prescott. He didn't, uh, you know, they didn't sign him entering the fifth year. And even he broke his ankle and it didn't matter. They ended up paying him $40 million a year. So Lamar is, like, going to get paid. And I'm not really worried about it. Uh, from the Ravens' perspective, because, like, they want him, you know, Lamar's been very successful. I think his, for all his faults or that we've talked about, certainly in this past season, the guy's 37-12 and 12 as a starter. This team has won a lot of games with him, um, and I see no reason for that to continue. So, I think it's basically, like, you know, whenever Lamar gets around to it, and, uh, you know, who knows what his, is on his mind. Not a lot gets out about him one way or the other, uh, so I guess give his close circle that, but yeah, I'm not personally. I'm not concerned, and but I am getting more annoyed that this is going to be a constant talking point uh, the entire season. Yeah, it's funny because I was the one to talk you off the ledge, and I think I'm probably the most worried out of the three <laughs> of us here. But in not in a panic, burn it all down. Oh my lord, Lamar's going somewhere. Like he's not going to be the Ravens' quarterback after next season. Like I. A deal's going to get done. It's going to happen. I'm probably at Edgar Al 
Not Edgar Allen quite yet. I'm at like one and a half birds. I love that analogy, by the way. If only we had five of them, it would be really, really good. Like the five-star scale. Uh, which you can do. Rate us on Apple Podcasts, please. Um, I am more worried. I am annoyed with, with what Jay said of like, I, you know, Antonio does a great job of leading the show. And he does a great job of picking out topics for us. And we all... You know, contribute now and then, but to take you behind the curtain, he's the one that does a lot of the heavy lifting in terms of rundowns and things. And I'm going to be very annoyed at him, and it's not his fault that this is going to be like sticking point number one every other week when we do this. <laughs> and, and and it should be. It's the it's the thing that we need to talk about. It's just not the thing I want to talk about. But but outside of you know my own my own personal feelings on it, I do think I'm a bit more worried because I think a deal has to get done this year and or this off season, I should say, because I think I made this argument a couple weeks ago and I know I'm contradicting myself before. And it was the whole, the Flacco deal. He bet on himself. He won him. He won a Super Bowl. Then they paid him and it was mediocrity. I've said on this podcast and I agree. I would take that because it's a Super Bowl, you know, Banners never die. They always hang. So uh, give me give me that over and over and over again to be mediocre for the next five years or whatever and compile up a whole new list of random Ravens for us. But this, I think, is a little bit different than the Flacco deal. And maybe it's because it was so long ago and we weren't mired in it and we were doing a college radio show, but we weren't doing a professional podcast like we are now. This would be a dark cloud over the Ravens season. Um, if the deal is not signed, every performance would be, oh, gained another million there, lost another million here. It would be the only thing to talk about. And frankly, you know, Harbaugh's a great coach. I'm sure he would be able to get that talk out of the locker room and have the guys focus on their job. And, you know, it's a 53-man locker room and team and what have you. But I think them not getting this deal done now hinders their Super Bowl chances this season because of the cloud that is just going to hang over the team. And for that reason, I think it needs to get done. It is incredibly difficult because he doesn't have an agent. As some people are like, well, you know what? Nobody's talking about. No, everybody's talking about this, you numbskulls. We know he doesn't have an agent. And that probably makes it tougher because, you know, he's gonna not going to back down. And he's going to take what he wants. And, you know, maybe you can look at it cynically of DaCosta can out-negotiate him. And sure, maybe that's a case. But maybe it's also a case of, Lamar knows what he's worth. He's not going to tell, and nobody's going to convince him otherwise, and he's going to stick firm. And maybe he never sees the number that he wants to. And, you know, DaCosta, as as Jace mentioned, said, we're going to play at his pace. Maybe he never sees the number, and we kick off week one, and there is no deal on the table. And that scares me because I just think I don't see a positive in that. I don't see... I don't see this one being the Flacco one where it's because, again, that Ravens team wasn't dominant or anything. And this is a way different AFC now. He went on a magical run and he got paid for it and good for him. I think this has the opposite effect. I think it lingers over this team. And, you know, as of right now, and this always changes, they're playing a pretty crap schedule as it is. They'll probably be a pretty good team. You expect them to bounce back. God willing, they don't have the same number of injuries. But but and this could be fan. And I, you know, I'm just repeating myself at this point, but this could be just me being a, a rational fan. I think that leaves a cloud over this team that prevents them from winning a Super Bowl. So I think it is, you know, Edgar Al. In two weeks, maybe it's Edgar Al. Maybe in you know, in a, in a month and a half, it's Edgar Allen. Is and that a second get, L? This yeah, is that yeah. Edgar. It should have been Edgar Al. That would have been, been way better. <laughs> um, and then we get to Edgar. Poop. 
and Poe, and then Poe, you know, accenting the E on the end if, if we get to kickoff time and there's no deal. Yeah, and the difference with Flacco, too, is he, he wasn't an MVP. His no, was more of right. a, it's a debate if we even want to have him, but, like, should they go another direction? He, Lamar Jackson is the most talented player on this team by a lot, uh, and that's the additional uh, challenge there for the, the fan base and the franchise. And then the no-agent thing, if there's no deal, even by, like, August... I don't think there's uh, possibly a deal in the middle of the season. I don't Deals see him get being, shut down. They have to. Because yeah. he has no agent to, to do that work while he's doing the week-to-week NFL stuff. So there's just going to come a point where he says, I'm now not dealing with this again until the season is over. And that's going to be a whole a whole stress level, added stress level to the season, as, as Tim mentioned. So let's just get this done, uh, you know, in, in the next few weeks. Uh, one thing that we do want to include on here before we move off of Lamar Jackson, is there have been some uh, some stories, some some Schefter tweets that, that were disagreed with by uh, our very own Lamar Jackson, but he was on uh, LeBron James's The Shop show and, and had some comments to say about how he believes that there's still racial bias against black quarterbacks in the NFL. Um, that has sort of, you know, reawoken uh, a debate on the issue which is probably very much a real issue uh it's nice to see lamar jackson sort of bringing this to the forefront in, in a sh- you know a show that has as much visibility as uh, as the shop has and, and will have i suppose as it you know continues to grow but um you know he hasn't forgot it he hasn't forgotten the combine stuff he hasn't forgotten the nfl draft stuff and he notes that one of his quotes was, it, you know, the quote-unquote, the, the racial bias is still there. That's why I need that championship. So that is the biggest chip on Lamar Jackson's shoulder to this point that he's talked about publicly. So it's nice to see him bringing this up and wanting to continue that conversation. Um, and he had a little bit of disagreement with how Adam Schefter first brought it up via tweets. Um, I'm not sure if you guys... Uh, followed that aspect of the story as well. <laughs> I saw that. I didn't see exactly if he followed it up with anything else, but it was a little strange because, like, I mean, I didn't watch the segment. I did only read what the tweets kind of said via Jameson Hensley was where I first saw this. Uh, so admittedly, I didn't watch it, but, like, they have the exchange between LeBron and Lamar, and it seems pretty clear what Schefter tweeted was, like, pretty much exactly what Lamar said in agreeance to the point LeBron made about the racial bias still being there. Um, and certainly Lamar has had to deal, I think, as you laid out so well, Antonio, just dealt with this, I think, more, pretty much more than probably any other quarterback in the league right now. Um, yeah, dating back to Bill Poley and saying he should like be a wide receiver, which was just ridiculous at the, at the, at the time. Uh, and even more so in hindsight, as we mentioned, he's won an MVP is that, one you know he has that why most wins under 25 or whatever the record is um so yeah it was interesting to say he actually had a number of few interesting things to say he did say he wants to be a billionaire and a champion as uh is what i think way lebron he said inspired him or something and then the other the other thing that arose uh out of that uh show that i actually found really interesting um that Jameson Hensley tweeted about was uh, Lamar apparently said he quote, and this is via Hensley's tweet wants to change his approach and mindset heading into his fifth NFL season. And so then on the show, Lamar said, you know, just a lot more mature. I feel like I was a little immature, not in a bad way. 
Which I just found that really interesting. Uh, I assume he means not a bad way by like getting in like actual off-field trouble and stuff, but uh, it, it was interesting just in light of you know I, I don't know like him getting sick. I don't know if that's like what he's talking about or just like practice stuff. But but that comment just kind of kind of jumped out to me, and I found it kind of kind of interesting. So. Um, and in, in light of the contract stuff, it makes me think his head's, you know, certainly level and he's, I, th- I think everything's moving towards the contract, but in a perfect world, he gets it done and mini camps here shows up and stuff. I think it's absurd. These people are like, he shouldn't set foot in Maryland if he isn't getting 40 million. And I'm like, I don't know if this is really what the issue is at the moment, but, uh, yeah. Um, I just, I just found that immature comment, uh that he he acknowledged that or said that a, a little interesting and see i guess something to monitor i guess if there's changes that seems like a thing like it's hard to know what will change from the outside but uh i just found that really kind of an interesting thing that he So i i want to pick up on that because i took it a little bit of a different way jace where yeah i i don't think it's cuz obviously lamar seems by all accounts a great guy doesn't get in off you know off the field trouble what have you but yeah there there's and this is the thing about the the Lamar Jackson loving with the Baltimore Ravens fan base. Absolutely well-deserved. We have an MVP quarterback. I never, ever would have predicted that in my entire lifetime. <laughs> uh, if you ask me, uh, you know, pre-Lamar Jackson era, we all love him to death. He's already people's favorite Raven and, you know, a whole new era of Ravens fans. And a Ravens, one of the smaller fan bases in the National Football League, gets more recognition because they have one of the faces of the NFL quarterback. I am 100% all there with that. But then I say, as soon as I pivot here, that's going to be like, well, you just hate him. No, that's not the case at all. I'm, it's called rational people. Wake up. Um, I think for me, some of the immature stuff are, are, is the bad decision-making and the home run play every single time. He has to be – his interception numbers have only gone up since he's been in the league. This year, even with missed time, we talked about it over and over again. He threw some of the most horrendous interceptions I have ever seen from a professional quarterback, and I'm a Baltimore Ravens fan. I've watched Kyle Bowler for one too many years, three too too many years, three too many years, too many years. And the the mistakes Lamar made on the field, you know, albeit laced with, you know, upteen number of great plays in between them, are still inexcusable, unacceptable, and not championship-level play. And I think it's going to get to a point with him, with this fan base, and we'll, and we'll see of if this deal doesn't get done, and then it's people start to, you know, get a bit worried. I still love Lamar, but, you know, he didn't really play his best today, and the whispers kind of pop up, and you know how fan bases are and how they react. And then we get the... The, the ridiculous segments on first take and what have you of, you know, let's say the Ravens are three and three, right? And there's no deal done between Lamar. Well, is he really the future of the Baltimore Ravens? That's up next with Stephen A and Matt Dog Russo and what have you. And like, you know, those two are entertaining television, but it's not a segment that I want to hear necessarily. And I think the maturity thing, I think he realizes that he has so much goodwill with this fan base. So much. An inexplicable amount of goodwill for, a, for an athlete, in my opinion. But that can get lost really, really quickly if you keep making some of the mistakes that he's made. Again, the minority of, of his play compared to some of the, the absolute brilliance that we get to see week in and week out from him. 
but there is some of that starting to creep up a little bit. And guess what? The love fest ends quicker than you think. Every single time in sports, it is, it's a love in all of a sudden. And then everybody wanted Joe Flacco out of town two years later after the best run uh, uh, NFL quarterback has made in a postseason 11 touchdowns, no interceptions. Don't forget it. And so I worry about that a little bit. And again, this is all kind of culminating in this thing. I just get the deal done because I don't want to have this conversation. <laughs> I don't want to have the, well, you heard they said, maybe is it better for them to look at in the draft and see if they can get somebody? Because it's not. The answer is no, plain and simple. Lamar Jackson is a fantastic quarterback. I think he's a championship level quarterback. But he has the talent to get there. He needs to clean some of the other stuff up. And I think, you know, that's what I read in, in the maturity aspect of what you're speaking about. Well, Tim, let me stir the pot uh, even even more vigorously then, because let's move to the host. backup quarterback. I let's move it. to Huntley, which is the next thing that has been discussed, which I just found the juiciest thing that we have to now bring up, in my opinion, on Pot Liquor Raven. And that is, it's the we've done the full 180 from Tyler Huntley could be the starting quarterback of the Ravens to, should the Ravens try to trade Tyler, Tyler Huntley to a team that's looking for a starting caliber quarterback? Uh, I think it's unlikely and difficult for a backup quarterback to get traded to another team to then become the starter on that team. But I gotta ask, for for the two of you, not so much will it happen, should it happen, but he's not going to get traded for a first-round draft pick. That's not going to happen, so we can remove that. But after that, what picks would you be willing to give up Tyler Huntley for? If it's a second-round pick, are you saying, love it? ship him off, have a great attempt at a starting career on another team, and we will use that second-round pick? Or is your value for him higher than that in terms of, well, now we need another backup quarterback, first of all, and then his skill set mixing in as just the really the perfect backup quarterback for Lamar Jackson's the offense of the playbook, first of all, and then they're just their styles. Yeah, there's a lot of things here. Um, if, if we're going to play, like, I think there's a game to play here. What's the line? My line... Second, I'm packing his bags. Um, early third and maybe a piece, you know, immediate championship piece that's a rental. I'm packing his bags. Outside of that, I think we have to have a bit of discussion. For me, and this is, and this is where I stand on this. Antonio, you're 100% right. Tyler Huntley is the perfect backup for Lamar Jackson. He, he fits the system well, clearly commands respect within the locker room with those guys. Plays pretty well and is a guy that I think in a, in a spot can help you out if Lamar Jackson is hurt or misses games, excuse me, which we have seen him do. But this team is never winning anything that they need to win with Tyler Huntley at quarterback. If Tyler Huntley is in there for extended periods of time, it could be Tyler Huntley, it could be Ryan Mallett, it could be Jimmy Clausen. It doesn't matter. Kyle Bowler, if you want to throw him in with that, that murderer's row. Yeah, right. You know, all Ravens quarterbacks, <laughs> by the way. Uh, some of them, I'm sure, will pop up if they haven't already on Random Raven. That, for me, is the difference there. Where backup quarterback is great, and you can read all the articles. And this comes from a piece from Ted Wynn, by the way, who's a X and O's guy with the Athletic. Really, really smart. He was the one who was like, "Well, it could be costly to get him from the Ravens, but it could be big upside." Here's the thing. Because here's what he brings. And I agree. And I kind of hope Huntley gets a shot as a starter. And if he does, maybe the Ravens get something for him, ideally, rather than letting him walk in a couple years' time. But I am more I am more than willing to give that up for 
a, a piece that can immediately impact you or a guy that can be a, an impact player every down on his side of the ball from a second round, early third, whatever it is. And then maybe like, a, and not this level, so don't, you know, don't quote me on this, but like a guy like a Marcus Peters or a Calais Campbell that you can bring in for nothing. And it's a guy that immediately makes your team better for the backup quarterback who, who let's be real, <coughs> everybody wanted to praise Huntley because there wasn't a lot of positives to talk about. Ravens didn't win many games down the stretch without Lamar Jackson. They completely collapsed with him at quarterback. Other factors, I understand. Injuries galore. He, they almost beat the Super Bowl champions with with Lamar, or excuse me, with Tyler Huntley there at, at quarterback. But if you can get a second, for me, my line is second, early third, or some sort of impact piece, uh, like immediate veteran impact piece, what have you. Yeah, I, I'm I'm saying we'll risk Lamar Jackson being there for the entire season or only missing one to two games. Because look, the fact of the matter is the Ravens lead, need Lamar Jackson to win a title. They do not need Lam, uh, Tyler Huntley. Yeah, I'm a, I have the exact same line, Tim, and basically the same sort of <laughs> thought process. I didn't know this idea was even like uh, floating around the internet about trading Tyler Huntley, but I saw the similar the piece you mentioned uh, today as well. Um, and for pretty much the same reasons, like I, I uh, yeah, uh, Tyler Huntley went one and three as a starter this past season. The one win he he, he got was a pull-it-out-of-your-butt win against the 4-11 Chicago Bears or whatever they went, 4-13. I don't know how many wins the Bears had. It wasn't a lot. 6-11, I think, they went. But, uh, yeah, so I think Huntley's good. I think he's a great backup for Lamar. And I also, similar to Tim, if you can get a second or third round pick for him, great. This was an undrafted guy you brought so in. So much value. Like, like great, so just ridiculous yeah, return it, on investment there. Yep. Yeah, and to to be able to flip that for a second or third round pick, he's a free agent after next year, so um, I believe. Uh, so, or maybe it's twenty twenty three. But um, either way, to turn that into uh, you know pieces, that's that that would be huge. But if not, he's also cheap. He's like costs like he's under eight hundred thousand dollars in salary for next season. So he's like a perfect backup. But yeah, if someone wants to blow your doors off with a you know a second or, or third round pick for a guy that you're is probably is going to sign elsewhere uh, once he hits free agency, uh, most likely, um, as kind of that flyer, you know, free agent QB. We see signed every year. Your Teddy Bridgewaters, your, uh, you know, there's a bunch of them across the league. Uh, whatever the Panthers are doing, it's, it's <laughs> you know, there, there's, pl- there's plenty of, there's plenty of uh, places for a guy like Huntley to sign a free agency for a lot more than the Ravens are willing to pay. Um, so yeah, if, if a team comes calling, uh, with a second round pick, I think, uh, you, uh, you, you wish them good luck. You, you trade them and try to, I don't know, get Trace McSorley back on board <laughs> or, or just find that literally anyone. So, uh, yeah. Um, yeah, I'm a hundred percent down, uh, for a Tyler Huntley trade. If the, that somehow comes, uh, that opportunity is presented, uh, to the Ravens. And if you're a team with questions at quarterback, yeah, Jace, the the price aspect is a gigantic deal. Want want to take a flyer on a quarterback who's pretty good and has talent and some some skills for less than a million, less than a million dollars, which is hard to come by these days. Uh, why not offer that in a market too, Antonio? Real quickly, where the the guys that are being you know, outside of your Aaron Rodgers news and stuff, that it, it looks less and less likely that he's actually going to leave Green Bay, and we'll see. You know, as we record this on a Monday on a Monday evening. I, Jimmy G, 
Carson Wentz, who they're desperately trying to offload in Indianapolis, a quarterback class that is just it's nowhere near the level of what came in last year. And 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 we'll talk about it with some of our combine thoughts. But somebody is going to spend a top 10 pick on on Kenny Pickett or Malik Willis. Like we've seen this guy Huntley can do it. And look, I'm not trying to advertise. Take our backup now. But, you know, <laughs> There's there's a hell of a value there for for the team getting Huntley as well if they can give up something, you know, a third round pick to have him as even maybe a stopgap or or something like that. Just don't trade him to Pittsburgh. Don't do that. I want them to be Mason Rudolph leading that team out of the tunnel in week one is the only thing I want from the start of this NFL season. So that's going to do it in terms of Ravens news. A lot of hard news there to talk about uh, in the, the doldrums of March in uh, in the NFL, NFL land we're gonna have Tim do the random Raven next and then get into a few NFL headlines that have come up uh, over the last week and then some news from the combine but first Tim who do you uh, who do you have for us this week with the random Raven yeah so this is one of those ones where you know for my for the for my um day job I have to basically be addicted to social media and you know some point I'm gonna have to like you know maybe sue them for that I'm just kidding serious XM I would never do that but it, it's given me adult onset ADD with my tweet deck just going up and down and up and down and up and down. This guy's name popped up because he was being interviewed by a Baltimore radio station. And I went, why are they talking to him? And then I Googled it and I went, oh, my Lord, this guy played for the Ravens. I completely forgot about this. <laughs> this is, again, we haven't done this podcast in 12 years. I marked this down, you know, in 1994. And now I can finally bring you these clues. And there's not a ton to say about this guy, I will admit. So they're a bit vague. So hopefully you guys can get them. I have confidence in the two of you. I think, I think you guys can get this. But uh, here we go. Clue number one. This Maryland native spent seven years in the National Football League. But he spent only one season in Baltimore. This player came into the league as an undrafted free agent in 2008 out of Hofstra. And he ended up leading the league in interceptions in 2011 with seven. Kind of a low number, post-Ed Reed life. Clue number three, or I guess older Ed Reed life. He spent most of his career with an AFC powerhouse and was part of the team that won Super Bowl forty-nine over the Seattle Seahawks. Number four. His only season in Baltimore was his last in the NFL. Uh, in May 2015, he signed a three-year contract with the Ravens. He played 15 games and had four starts that year, recording 28 tackles, three passes defended, and a forced fumble. In 2016, he suffered a concussion in the first preseason game and was placed on injured reserve, missing the entire season. And then in 2017, he was released after a failed physical. But that 2015 year, four starts, 15 games. Again, I know it's the, you know, dark ages and then clue number five with the Ravens he wore number 24 but during his time in New England he wore 24 25 and 27 across six seasons in Foxborough Jace Jace looks like he has something or tip of the tongue action here family show I have a name (laughs) we'll see we'll see if it's right leading the league in interceptions in 2011 just boggled my mind. And I will admit, this was a guy that it took me a second. And then after I did some research, I was like, oh, yeah, I remember him playing for these, like, the epitome of mediocre teams with the Ravens. 
I might have it. Uh, if, I barely have any recollection of him with the Ravens. <laughs> That's who I think it is. Uh, I'm gonna I'm yeah, gonna make I'm, up a bonus. I'm gonna find a bonus clue for you guys as well. Do some good radio type thing here. We can all just think and not have anything over the uh, <laughs> over the air for for ten seconds. But I have uh, little to no idea of who this is. So Jace, you're gonna have to uh, hold <laughs> hold down the fort when we get to the end of the episode. Yes, sir. Uh, oh man. All right, let's move. We're going to move on, <laughs> move away from this, and turn to the NFL, or a few interesting, uh, wow, some small things, and then some earth-shattering things, as far as the NFL goes. But let's start with the small stuff. Uh, Orlando Brown Jr. officially will be franchise-tagged, or is now franchise-tagged, by the Kansas City Chiefs. Wanted to bring that up here, because uh, it seems to tie a nice little bow on this trade of the Ravens giving away Orlando Brown Jr., in a trade to the Chiefs, um, there was that fear, I think, in, in Kansas City that it would turn into a one-year rental in exchange for a first-round draft pick, uh, and then we would see where, where Brown would go. But they're going to keep him, and this franchise tag demonstrates that, and I would assume uh, the goal is to get a long-term deal done after this franchise tag. So I, I don't know if you guys have any thoughts on uh, on Brown had some stretches where he was not as uh, not as effective and then did play well in, in other parts of the of the season but just a need for the Chiefs really to to keep that offensive line solid well they had to I mean they they had to keep him and I think too like yeah we were all dancing on the grave of Orlando Brown Jr. a little bit at the beginning um being like well steal we knew he wasn't a left tackle and then we found out that the Chiefs you know woke up and uh that offensive line I mean Look, that is that is the blueprint now. You know, Creed Humphrey, who they picked, who the Ravens could have picked, um, all pro center already as a rookie. Trey Smith, who, you know, oh, man, he got a little bit too overweight out of Tennessee. He has all the talent, but who knows? Combine numbers. Draft him in the sixth round. Automatic right guard starter for them. They completely overhauled. Uh, they signed uh, Joe Tooney from New England. In, and then Orlando Brown Jr., obviously, they bring him in in, 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 in one offseason. They have revamped their offensive line and made it the thing that lost them the Super Bowl two years ago to one of the strengths of the team. Um, and good on him. You know, obviously it's not the best going to a rival, but I think the, I think this is one of those rare win-win uh, moves for both teams, especially if Adafi Owe can, you know, turn into the, the sack master that the Ravens so desperately need and that he has kind of already started to show that, you know, he might have the talent for. Yeah, we don't need to re- relitigate, obviously, the, the Ronnie Stanley stuff. Obviously, it didn't work out in that side of things. But Orlando Brown Jr. did not want to play for the Ravens anymore, basically. And they got a first-round pick for him. Uh, and, yeah, what you, from as Tim nailed it, Chiefs, you trade a first-round pick? They really didn't have a choice. They were going to have to re-sign him one way or another, as you said, Antonio. Uh, you assume a, a long-term deal gets done here. Uh, and even if it doesn't, it kind of has to for cap purposes because I, uh, you know, franchise tag for a left tackle is a lot of money. Um, so you know, there's worse things than pocketing all that guaranteed if they don't get something worked out this season uh, for Orlando Brown. He just heads back into free agency next year. But uh, um, yeah, kinda, I kind of agree. For now, sort of seems like a mostly win-win for uh, for each team. And even though, as you mentioned, got smoked a few times in some critical moments. Uh, so uh, certainly, I don't, you know, not a first ballot Hall of Famer by any means, but I think an upgrade on what they had going. Another small piece of news in, turn, in just in the sense that it hasn't become anything official, but some, some murmurs that Aaron Rodgers is mulling a new deal offered to him by the Green Bay Packers. 
uh, and really I bring this up because I think it's you know supposed to be one of those quote unquote market setting deals, and so I wonder is this could this have an impact on Lamar Jackson's deal after that, or are they just in such completely different situations just in terms of where they are in their career that that might not actually impact it directly, or uh, or is Rogers just going to get like the key to the city of Green Bay and and, <laughs> and own every building that's there as a way to try to entice him to stay uh and then make that be the price for Lamar Jackson's contract yeah just quickly on this you know even just from a pure NFL standpoint man I hope this Aaron Rodgers thing gets resolved like trade him to Denver or sign him or do something I cannot do another offseason of this and like I like I like I don't mind Rodgers I know there's been some controversial stuff that he's done and whatever and you know we don't obviously have to get into that now so just just figure out some way to get this done either way. Um, and then quickly on, on the Lamar Jackson angle of it, if Lamar Jackson thinks that this is going to influence his contract at all, he's not going to go into the year with a new deal because this has absolutely no bearing on what the Ravens are going to do with a, um, a quarterback who has a lot of life left versus a hall of famer. One of the greatest to ever do it, you know, kind of going out giving it one or two more shots, maybe even three or four based on how quarterbacks play nowadays. Um, you know, to try and win another Lombardi and cement his legacy. Yeah, I, I think Rodgers Rod- could get like $50 million on these deals, but he probably will sign like a two or three year thing. But I, I agree with Tim. I think if, if you're the, certainly the Ravens and even Lamar, I think you have to kind of kind of work within the framework of the, um, you know, the, the Mahomes range. Not like that ne- money necessarily. He's at $45 million a year. But, you know, the, the, those people in that class, Josh Allen's over $40 million a year, Dak Prescott's there. Um, it, you know, similar guys, close in age to him. Josh Allen's especially, um, I think, you know, we love Lamar, obviously. I think you could probably say to this point, perhaps, though he doesn't have the MVP, Josh Allen, probably just as accomplished in the NFL as Lamar at this point, certainly. Um, had some success and some playoff wins and stuff. Um, so I think those are the deals you have to look at. Rogers is in such a weird, different place where the, this is him quickly resolving, uh, his off season decision as three and a half weeks. I don't want to know what him taking a while to f- come up with the decision looks like. Um, so yeah, Rogers is just in such a weird spot with all his, everything he has going on and his dynamic with the Packers and as a legend and stuff. I I think he'll get absurd money, probably the most we've ever seen, but I, I, I don't I think if you're Lamar and the Ravens you just kinda ignore that and focus on more of the, the five kind of five to ten year sort of deals that the your his contemporaries have signed recently. Alright, and then to the biggest piece of uh NFL news which really happened couple hours ago from when we were recording this uh and that's atlanta falcons receiver calvin ridley has been suspended for at least the 2022 season after gambling on games last season um it's almost like this was bound to happen this was bound to come up as gambling has absolutely exploded uh, over the past few years as as it has become legal in more and more states the players were still not allowed to gamble in those states where it was legal for a hundred different reasons. And now Calvin Ridley, um, like, officially caught via data and tracking and cell phones and all that. Um, 
betting on games while he was not with the team. Uh, and it was kind of the most predictable thing ever. Uh, you have a player, you know, with a lot of players being out for COVID and for injuries, and then gambling exploding and being in people's faces in every advertisement uh, that you turn to. Shockingly, now a player has been found to have done so d- during the season, and it will be suspended for a year. But uh, I, I, t- I mean, I have some thoughts on this, but I'll turn to you guys first on. Uh, is this, you know, one domino out of a hundred? Are we going to start seeing more and more names? Is this an, uh, an anomaly? And then I, I'm curious to hear your thoughts on, you know, the penalty being at the moment the entire season uh, and what sort of precedent this is going to set or if you think, and you know, in the next few years, if this keeps happening more and more, will the punishment actually get lower, smaller and smaller? based on just how popular gambling is and how many players are doing it and it just being omnipresent. And it's a slippery slope for the NFL here in terms of needing to keep this sort of sense of separation between the players and coaches and refs in the game and those trying to gamble on it as, as enjoyment. So I, I'm curious to hear your guys' thoughts here. There's, there's so much stuff here. And, and as you mentioned, we are, we are a, a as we started recording, this was really breaking. So we're still kind of in the middle of it. Some details are still being ironed out. What has been known, and this comes from Albert Breer and others, that uh, and, and the NFL Network's uh, Mike Garofalo as well, explained that the league discovered the bets through a tracking program that is part of their agreement with Genius Sports Group, which serves as their executive distributor of sports betting data to media companies and sports betting operators. They spotted Ridley, Ridley's bets and they notified the league because he was making bets on his phone. Um, he was betting on his own team, even though he was not with the team. Um, he did beat on, he did a bet on them to win. So, you know, whatever, if that changes your opinion on things, uh, he was doing <laughs> eight game parlays, which, uh, you know, I, I, I do not gamble personally, uh, one, because it's not legal where I live, but, um, I know that's kind of ridiculous. You shouldn't be doing that. And simply, at the very baseline of this, and there's more stuff to get into, but at the baseline of this, I have no problem with, with the year-long suspension. I think that the NFL makes, and you could be, and people are, Ridley's being played victim and what have you by some people. Well, the NFL makes billions of dollars off of gambling. That is very true. That is very, very true. But the gambling is supposed to be for the people that aren't influencing the games. And if you want to go deep state conspiracy and say, well, Vegas, no, they're rigged games, NFL rigged, whatever. I have no help for you. And you do not have to listen to the rest of this podcast. That is fine with me because frankly, what you're saying is ridiculous. We cannot have players betting on football games. We simply straight up can't have it. He was still employed by the Atlanta Falcons. I know he was stepping away from mental health issues and what have you. And hopefully he's found the help that he needs. And that's fine. I know even Ridley came out and said he was tweeting. He said, I only tweeted $1,500. Um, I don't care. It's still, you cannot have active players betting on football games, bar none. And if you want to come at me with the, well, you know, Ray Rice only got a couple games for domestic violence. Sure. I'll hear that. That's fine. I, I get that. And and that probably should have been more, what have you, obviously the old case. And does it set a precedent for when something from a human level comes up and unfortunately it probably will with, with, with a player and what does Goodell do there and how they're going to compare it to this? Absolutely. And, and there is a conversation to be had when that happens. I also think there's a conversation to be had about Steven Ross. If you don't know the Miami dolphins owner 
who uh, with, with Brian Flores, who the Steelers picked up, by the way, which is infuriating, which we don't even have to talk about. Sidebar. Suing the NFL for a number of things, one including Stephen Ross, the owner of the Dolphins, told him to lose games and would offer him $100,000 for losses in 2019. Stephen Ross, if found guilty, should, lo- should immediately have to give up his team. No sale. He makes no profit on it. Nothing. He should lose his team immediately, give it to the NFL, and they can redistribute it to, you know, highest bidder, what have you. And I think people are like, whoa, what about Stephen Ross? What about Stephen Ross? I think it should be the exact same punishment from an owner's point of view that Ridley gets. It simply cannot happen in the league. It's going to turn into pro wrestling if this happens where guys are betting on games constantly, constantly, constantly. I'm not here for Ridley being the victim on, on him getting reprimanded for a year. I think you have to set a hard line when this first happens and and basically say no enough this will you cannot have it and you know god willing it doesn't become a thing that's more you know more prevalent because as Antonio mentioned it's everywhere now and just let's just hope it doesn't ruin the integrity of the league that's all that's that's where I stand yeah, that, that's the, the thing that makes it hard and I think makes it easy for people to lob these criticisms about the NFL is how much they have. Co- I mean, they literally have an official. Is it FanDuel, DraftKings? They're literally sponsored by one of them. So, like, on that side of things, I, I understand, you know, how that it's, it's a tough look for the NFL. But I do agree, like, you have to draw the line. Like, it just can't happen. And, and you know, I... If you've ever worked for a corporation like myself, you get, you know, your your semi-regular emails about, you know, don't do insider trading, which is just, you know, if you want to view it as gambling with the stock market, you can certainly view it that way. Um, and uh, this is kind of the same thing. It's betting on your in, on your industry was like, and I know they say he didn't have inside knowledge, but you his inside knowledge is he knows everyone on the team. <laughs> like, and I don't think he, there's no evidence that he influenced it, you know, anything. I don't think it's a grand conspiracy, but it's just, as Tim said, it just can't happen. And uh, I think, um, you know, the NFL, the gambling, you know, now it's a lot more uh, obviously everywhere in society. I think we're getting, we're, we're slowly moving towards half what half the States having legalized sports gambling at this point, if we're not there already. Um, but like, yeah, it, the NFL's always kind of drawn a hard line uh, with gambling, even on uh, non-football events. So you know, there's uh, Alex Karras and Paul Horning who both ended up in the Hall of Fame eventually. Uh, in this was back in like the '60s, they had to were suspended a season for gambling-related stuff. Uh, Eddie DeBartolo, the former 49ers owner, had to transfer control of the franchise to his sister for some, I believe it was casino-related things he was involved in or some possible fraud or something along those lines. So the NFL's always taken gambling things very seriously. So I wasn't surprised um, to, to, to see this. And, uh, you know, you, you hope Ridley, obviously, uh, he, he didn't seem too concerned about it on Twitter <laughs> based on his uh, reactions. But, um, you know, it, it, it is a serious thing. And, and I think, you know, Goodell didn't really have a choice because you kind of have to sort of, set that precedent and um you know just so to make sure it doesn't happen again so i I think one year's fair um as for what you said about ross tim i i completely agree i think you know that's 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 even even worse it's even worse Uh, absolutely yeah yeah, yeah. it's it's five thousand times worse than what calvin ridley did which was you know make some ill-advised eight team parlays (laughs) for a couple hundred bucks um 
uh, while he wasn't, you know, with the team. But yeah, uh, pay, paying your franchise to lose that that strikes to the integrity. Well, but and if they find it, he should be out. Now, will I think that happened? I don't know. The NFL has been oddly protective of one Daniel Snyder uh, in general are loath to do anything. NFL owners don't seem to like to do anything about their, uh, you know, I guess their fellow coworkers. You can view it, the other NFL owners. Um, but if there's any evidence, I, yeah, Ross has to be stripped of the team. And obviously that'll just mean him selling the team for probably like a $3 billion profit. So he yeah. doesn't really lose in the end, but uh yeah, he, he can't own the team going forward if there's literally any proof he did anything uh, that Flores led. Yeah, but that, that's gonna that's the tough thing. With that's the sad part. Russ is if he's right. talking to Flores and that's the information. Like there's just no there's nothing else that can be found. You know, I don't know what kind of proofs you have outside of uh, like recorded conversations or other witnesses coming through. So I, I have a hunch that's going to be extremely difficult to prove outside of uh you know he said he said basically not he said she said but in this instance two two he's um the ridley stuff is strange to me based off of the timing of all these things happening uh he stepped away from football on halloween saying he needed to get his personal life in order and then according to the this data of this suspension he gambled on games over a five-day stretch the following month, while not with the team. So it's just really odd timing to me. Maybe he just, you know, the, the issues he was having with stepping away from football influenced the thought process for the gambling literally the following month, maybe even days after he stepped away from the team. So it's a, sort of a strange uh, timeline uh, of events here, and I would agree with both of you that a season-long suspension seems to be uh, fitting for this type of what the impact of this can be in terms of losing validity uh, as as a sporting league. So uh, he gets to appeal this. We'll see what happens. I'd be curious to see what happens on appeal if it does get shortened or not. Um, but that is obviously pending for now. So let's turn now to the 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 running and the things that we saw, the football-like activities that we saw uh, over the past few weeks, and that is the NFL Combine. I have a few quotes from Eric DaCosta, who was at the Combine, did a press conference there, and then I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put my co-host to the test, kind of, and I'm going to run through a few position groups and ask which players they like at those groups, which, which names have been sort of thrown around as potential fits for the Ravens at 14, but um, the first thing I want to go over, most listeners of the show know the Ravens' areas of need, let's say, and they are offensive line, defensive line, uh, pass rush, you know, in parentheses uh, with defensive line, and then probably secondary, maybe after that. So DaCosta shockingly was asked about what he wants from an offensive lineman out of the draft and uh, had one of the greatest quotes I would think of uh, of combine season. And he said, I really just want guys that can kick ass. Uh, guys, thoughts on what DaCosta's looking for on the offensive line? Just maulers, apparently. Yeah, Eric, me too. <laughs> me too. Been saying it on this podcast for three years now. It's all we need. It, it makes me so sad that Antonio goes biggest, uh, you know, biggest needs for the Baltimore Ravens 
offense and defensive line where this entire sport starts and ends for me. It is, it is the most important part of your game is a good offensive line and a good defensive line outside of the quarterback. Fine. Whatever. I'll give you that one. Okay, great. We, we spent, we spent an hour on our quarterbacks. We could do more stuff now. Um, I've got, I'm glad that he recognizes it again with Eric DaCosta comments as we talk about uh, a lot. Obviously, it's going to be more veiled than we would think because it's a, you know, he can't really give away anything. But I do like for as open as he is allowed to be, he kind of hits that line. I like listening to Eric DaCosta speak. And, you know, hand up as somebody that works in sports media, I don't like listening to a lot of coaches and players speak because they're all media trained. They all say the same thing over and over again. Maybe it's my own team. I like listening to DaCosta because I think that he – you can find something in what he's saying about his own team uh, when he speaks. And yeah, I mean, we'll get into it, but, and, and we're just going to go 14 here. Maybe later on, uh, as we get closer to the draft, we'll really dive into late round prospects that we like, you know, when we have no, nothing else to do, but uh, watch baseball, <laughs> never mind. And, or, you know, <laughs> dive into mock draft, seven round mock drafts and big boards from Danny Kelly and Daniel Jeremiah. Yeah. Jason's, Pumping his fist for the listener at home, and I am too. Uh, theoretically, I cannot wait. Um, but but in terms of fourteen, uh, at least in the offensive line, and we'll get to it obviously when we break it down. I, I worry that maybe a guy that we want is not there because there might be a run on tackles early. But it does seem like even even with that, there's going to be somebody available, um, whether it's offensive line, defensive line, what have you, that could make an impact for the Ravens. So excited excited now that we're out of it like jay said excited to have a pick at 14 i don't have to stay up for four hours to wait for the ravens to pick or i mean trade out all i have to do is you know maybe two and a half hours to get to pick 14 and actually see who the ravens have until they you know inevitably trade out to like 25 tim i just forgot i forgot about the ravens trading back every time it's so inevitable at that pick uh i want to bring up another line that I thought was actually kind of surprising from DaCosta. And he said, if you don't have offensive linemen and defensive back depth, it's hard to win consistently. That was his pairing. Weird. Not offensive line and defensive line, but very two very specific things, both revolving around protecting your quarterback and stopping the other team's quarterback. So uh, I'm, I dare I say I'm a little concerned. I'm like Ed level concerned that the Ravens are looking at like secondary players at 14 because I don't personally have that as a very high uh, need for this team as long as they get players healthy. Um, but DaCosta hinting at the need uh, for having at least depth uh, in those two position groups, I thought was interesting. It was certainly interesting with the defensive backs too, Antonio. Like when last month he like also said like Marcus Peters and Marlon Humphrey will be back, and they're two of your five highest-paid players. Uh, and, and, you know, there will be, should be, could be, uh, certainly at 14, some solid uh, defensive backs. I mean, if if Derek Stingley, you know, falls, he might be around. Some guy named uh, Sauce. Sauce. Some guy named Sauce. Yeah. Ahmad Sauce Gardner, <laughs> the greatest name in this draft, uh bar none uh he is likely to be on the board um so there's some chances i doubt kyle hamilton falls he's kind of actually more of what the ravens need a safety who intercepted a lot of passes in college that would be nice what a novel uh, thought to have interceptions again but 
Uh, I did find that interesting that DaCosta brought it up. He was, like, really forthcoming at the Combine in, like, a way that, like, even he didn't seem with the Ravens, like, local media at his end-of-year press conference, which was interesting. Because um, he also mentioned that he, um, he did actually bring up the defensive line and did note that they have to get younger uh, on the defensive line, he said, as well. So that that also piqued my interest. Um, but certainly the defensive back thing kind of... You know, I mean, it, on the surface, it's, you know, he looked at what the Ravens did the worst in 2021, and it was, they had a bad offensive line and their secondary stunk. So, you know, <laughs> we pointed that out several times on the show. So I guess, yeah, good on him for acknowledging it. But, uh, yeah, I, I was certainly, certainly interesting. And uh, I, you know, perhaps throws a wrinkle in the Ravens draft plans. Who knows? And then the last line that I'm going to bring up, uh, this is maybe more, PR speak than anything else, but speaking about the defensive line and one of the question marks is the return of Calais Campbell, either via retirement or via wanting to go to another team, but then at the Super Bowl, Calais Campbell famously saying that he was inspired to, to come back, uh, DaCosta at the Combine saying, I don't want to speak for Calais, but I asked Calais, I basically said, listen, if you want to play, I'd like you to let me know at some point, at some point. Because we thought you had a good year, you are a good player. I have a lot of admiration for Calais as a person and as a leader, as a player and as a leader. I'm hopeful that we can bring him back. So we shall see, I suppose, waiting on Campbell to make all of those decisions, hopefully before the draft, so the team has a sense of of those needs. Um, but with that, I want to turn now to the position groups. And those these are really where what we're at here. We The Ravens need offensive linemen. They need... A lot of stuff along the defensive line. Uh, and then maybe someone in the secondary. So those are the three position groups I'm going to challenge my, my co-hosts with and then see what other flyers they may have. But let's start with the O-line, as that I think it's the most common the most common pairing for, for who the Ravens will draft uh, at 14 in, in a lot of mock drafts all over the place. But uh, let's start with, uh, with Jace first. Jace, as you, you tend to do most... Uh, you have the, the the best background here in terms of college football and players and their abilities. So, what are or who are a few names uh, that have been penciled in at fourteen? Maybe even a guy who's in like the top ten who maybe could possibly drop a couple of spots. So, uh, curious to hear your thoughts about names at the offensive line position for the Ravens. So there were a few uh, linemen who had themselves some good combines uh, and you hope didn't play their way out of the Ravens spot. I think perhaps uh, chief among that uh, group um, that I'm certainly most intrigued by is Charles Cross, the uh, offensive tackle out of Mississippi State. Uh, big man, big man who could move. Uh, he performed pretty well in just about every athletic category. Um, people were praising his footwork when he was doing those shuttle drills. Um, just seems a really solid player. You know, he's a, he's a starting left tackle in the SEC. Yes, please. Um, which Tyree Phillips was too. So there's is that, but, uh, and same school, I believe, unless he was at, um, I forget, but, uh, but yeah, Charles Cross, he certainly, um, stood out, uh, and he will be floating around the, they, apparently they talked to Evan Neal, but there seems to be a growing consensus among the mock draft community that Evan Neal might be the first overall pick. So, unlikely he'll be around by the time the Ravens pick he's a a stunning athlete for someone who is 317 pounds or whatever he weighed in at um and uh another guy who probably won't be around because he's shot up uh um uh 
um, boards is a Conru from uh, NC State. He's kind of been the consensus, uh, you know, second uh, second uh, def- uh, offensive uh, lineman sort of on most people's mocks. So Charles Cross is probably the first one the Ravens are really looking at that might be there. Some other names um, that kind of jump out to certainly to me uh, was Trevor Penning, who is a fascinating um, uh case study on a number of things he ran a sub five uh of 40 he actually uh he ran a 491 uh 40 yard uh dash he can squat 625 <laughs> which is a lot of weight uh he said he started uh, a tradition where he watches scary movies the night before games to prepare for uh for games and he he was asked about uh so he could just watch um, film of the ravens offensive line from the last season that would be a perfect <laughs> what a perfect fit for him to just get terrified before that's games. right he just cow- cowers in fear as uh alejandro villanueva gets beaten for the eighth time by max crosby in one game uh but he, uh, he also had this he was asked about being linked to the ravens a lot because it's in most like people's box it seems like penning has become the guy in many cases uh, and he said, just when asked about it, he said, teams that want that nasty edge, that's a great team to be a part of. And as we just mentioned, the general manager said he likes people who kick ass. Uh, <laughs> so that seems like a a, a similar, uh, you know, thought process and styles there, mindset. The concern with Petting, obviously, is he played down a level at FCS. There's some concerns about um some of the things that occurred at the senior bowl, if he will be, you know, be able to withstand, uh, or is up to snuff, but in a perfect world, he's the Ravens right tackle, not their left tackle. <laughs> um, so, but, uh, so he, he, he's, he's a name. And then the other one, I, uh, who didn't actually work out at the combine, he's recovering from an injury, but that intrigues me certainly at 14 was Tyler Linderbaum, who, um, DaCosta actually said he's uh, via Jeff Zerebeck, uh, DaCosta said team sees a lot of the same qualities in Iowa center Tyler Linderbaum as it did in Marshall Yonda. So that's high praise that I found very interesting for DaCosta to, you know, mention Yonda who, uh, who, who Linderbaum says he knows and, um, he's gotten to know well. And they, you know, Yonda is back in Iowa, works out apparently at Iowa's facility, uh, on some of his, his downtime. So they've gotten to know each other. Um, and that's intriguing. He, you know, he didn't perform, but he was the consensus like best center in college football this last year. He won the best center award, pretty much in some people's eyes, maybe the best offensive lineman. You just you don't usually you know draft centers as the highest uh, O line off the board. But for a team that seemingly needs a center, by all accounts, Bradley Bozeman is leaving uh, this off season. I am very intrigued by him. I will say, I, I don't hate the idea of solidifying a position that really has been a revolving door for the Ravens pretty much since Matt Burke retired. Um, it wouldn't be bad to, 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 um, to kind of lock him into place. So he didn't perform at the combine cause he's recovering from injury. That isn't expected to be anything of long concern. Um, but I'm very intrigued by him. I would not hate the Ravens. Jason, is that a situation days. where the Ravens would, you know, they're sitting there pick 11, 12 has come in. 
and they realize they could probably take him even if they move back? Is that a situation they might move back 10 to 15 spots and still feel confident that he would be there and then gain value while gaining a, a center? Jace, I'll hop in real quick. Yes, it's the Ravens. Of course that's what they would do if they think that they can gain any sort of value or any sort of lottery ticket. But would the player still be there, Jace? Mm-hmm. Is, is that like a, is his value ten, middle of the round or picks? is it end of the round? Yeah, 10 might be pushing it. I I think, like, he'd go in the 20s at worst. It, it just, it's, you know, it, there's been a mixed history of sort of drafting centers, but, like, a lot of the ones that go in the first round end up working out pretty well. Obviously, the Cowboys took Travis Frederick years ago in the first round, and that was maligned at the time, and he was a multi-time All-Pro before uh, his career was kind of cut short by injury. But, uh um, so I don't know if he'll be there that long, but I I agree with you both that I would not be shocked if the Ravens trade down because I think one of those three offensive linemen will be on the board when they pick, and I'm sure they're probably fine with any of them if they're locked into the idea of offensive line. I don't know that they should be, and we'll get to why in, in, a, in momentarily. But uh, if that's the route they want to go, if they want to address the line through the draft, I think they they should have some good options, even with Neil and Aquanru, um, like presumably off the board by them. I mean, if Aquanru is somehow on the board by the time that they draft, like he's yeah, the pick. I- but it's not happening. Be. I don't think Charles Cross is going to be on the board either, based on everything that I've seen recently. And, and and the problem I have here, and Jace, you know, Jace laid it out beautifully about all these kind of prospects. Linderbaum seems to, his stock has dropped a little bit compared to coming right out of college, because I think the measurables aren't great, and people wonder if he can handle the physicality a little bit, which is a question, who knows. Um, if Eric DaCosta thinks he sees Yanda... I'll take him at his word, even if he's trying to, you know, <laughs> lie to get other teams to take him early, whatever. Um, my issue is, and I look at, I'm looking at a number of mock drafts here. And you just look at the teams who need offensive line help uh, before the Ravens pick. <clears throat> the Jaguars could use some line help. Uh, the Lions and the Texans could use help everywhere. Uh, the Jets could probably use some. The Giants, the Panthers absolutely could. Oh, there's the Giants again. Here's the Falcons. They don't have any offensive line of note. The Jets pick again at 10. They could use it. Uh, The Commanders, they're absolutely going to take a quarterback way too high. But if they don't and they're actually smart, they could use some offensive line help as well. And then you get the Vikings and the Browns before the Ravens uh, that don't need it. That's about 9 to 10 teams that could theoretically, if a guy is there that they want, could take an offensive lineman before the Ravens. I, I... I'm going to start pessimistic. I will end optimistic at the end of this combine talk. I promise I could theoretically get on. We get on the board and Evan Neal, a Conwoo at NC state, Charles cross out of Mississippi state and Tyler Linderbaum. All four are off the board and the guys and the Ravens just don't like penning and they don't trust taking a guy from Northern Iowa at, uh, at 14. And that I think it would be an issue Um, on penning. You know, Jace kind of nailed it. I just want to bring it home. The guy just seems like an absolute SOB, and that's exactly – on the field anyway. I don't obviously don't know anything about off the field. And that's what I want in an offensive lineman. And, you know, Miles Garrett, they were showing clips of his senior bowl, which kind of went viral because he was just mauling dudes into the ground. And Miles Garrett was like, yeah, try that in the NFL, which, you know, valid. Miles Garrett's very good at football. But if it translates and if the Ravens think it translates and you can get a, a road grader, nasty SOB at right tackle. Yes, please. I'll take one. I will say that, uh, 
Tim, that's a great point at looking at the teams in front of the Ravens and the need. How many teams have a need at offense? They're all line? bad because they all have bad offensive lines. That's the like <laughs> it, it, one and one is two here, people. One and one is two. But Tim, is there is there an opportunity here? Is there an opportunity? If all these teams do get offensive linemen, there's only so many spots. Somebody has to fall. There has to be somebody at 14. Stay at 14, Ravens. Don't do the thing you've done well. Listen to me instead and take one of the top 14 prospects. And I'm using this to turn to uh, the defensive line slash outside linebacker, let's say, which is the other Ravens position of need. And maybe there's opportunity here. If a bunch of those offensive linemen are taken in the top 10 and the top 13, who are some players who... uh, who would be available and maybe our steals become steals for the Ravens at 13 or are just, you know, bona fide. This is a dude in the middle of the first round. And if he's available, he would fit well and the Ravens should take him Tim. I just want to go quickly through some of that. Cause there's my negative side, but I also think that there are so many players that I think could help the Ravens based on what, you know, us as fans know about watching college football and scout like our, you know, quote unquote scouting from what we see. You look at the likes of all the linemen we just mentioned at 14. You look at the likes of a sauce Gardner who look, the guy was effing dominant in college. And if they think that, you know what, put him in there, have a dominant secondary with Marcus Peters, him and, and Marlon Humphrey move on from Marcus Peters. He's the guy next to Humphrey for the next five years. I can talk myself into it. I hated the Marlon Humphrey pick when they made it at 16 a couple years back, and it worked out, clearly. Um, there's, and then there's these guys on the defensive line, pass rusher types. You, you look at – let's, let's knock down the board a little bit. Evan Neal's gone. Akonwu is gone. Aiden Hutchinson, the defensive end out of uh, Michigan, gone. Kayvon Thibodeau, the defensive end out of Oregon, gone. Like, these guys are, are not attainable for the Baltimore Ravens. But as, but as Antonio says – it knocks a couple other guys down the board. Um, David Ajabo, the out, the other rusher from Michigan as well. Um, Trayvon Walker, who I want to just ask Jason about after this, um, is another guy that, outside of Penning, Trayvon Walker is the guy that I keep seeing linked to the Ravens. And hand up, you know, not the biggest college football guy. Ended up watching a lot of Georgia because, you know, I actually like defense, unlike most people. I don't remember Trayvon Walker, but I could have just missed him. And, and that's what I'll ask Jace about in a second. But a man I didn't miss... And a man who just proved that, you know what, he's a lot of meat in the middle. Maybe it was just his size to dominate in college. And maybe we shouldn't take combine numbers uh, and, and overrate them, per se. Especially a 40-yard dash for a man who's going to play in the trenches, because he's never going to be running 40 yards. Until he's sacking quarterbacks and scooping fumbles and running a 4-7-8-40 at 341 pounds, I believe. That is Jordan Davis, the nose tackle out of Georgia. I'm here for it. I'm here for the a very similar situation and if you don't remember, the Ravens had the pick right behind the Cleveland Browns in 2006. They swapped picks with the Cleveland Browns in 2006 and they ended up taking a man by the name of Haloti Nada, who ended up was a was an athletic freak who ended up being a force on the defensive line. I'm not saying I want the same situation to happen. I'm not saying that I want the Ravens to give up more than they have to to trade up one spot to go over Cleveland to get Jordan Davis. All I'm saying that is if it happens and Jordan Davis ends up being an all-pro Ravens Ring of Honor member and the Cleveland Browns had a chance to take him and didn't, here's your Cleveland dig, by the way, people. I know you had to wait like an hour 20 for it. 
I would laugh all the way to my grave. I think this guy, I know it doesn't always translate college tape to pro. And I know, again, again, you don't, don't take scouting numbers as God honest truth. But by God, do you not want to see that guy wearing number 99 with his belly hanging out of his jersey, lining up on the <laughs> defensive line over the center for the Ravens, scaring the life out of every quarterback that has to look that man in the eyes? You, you can't tell me you don't want that. And for me, that is, that's kind of the thing I want. Now, Jace, I'll let you go on Jordan Davis because I believe we're similar here. But I also do want to know a little bit about Trayvon Walker as well. I was going to say, Tim, I want that. I want Jordan Davis. No one, no player, I think, improved their stock more at the combine. And he was already pegged to be a first round pick, I think, but he, he was clearly the star. I mean, what he did athletically is insane. I saw a tweet when I was checking my phone periodically over the weekend um, about how basically his combine performance was like one of like the five greatest ever, like relative to like his size. He, he measured in at six, six, three forty one. I mean, Kirby smart called him Godzilla, but I, I, I'm with you, Tim. I, I worry a little about sometimes the Combine Warriors, yeah. but like with with, uh, with Davis and I will say all the Georgia defensive linemen that ran and performed this weekend, it just kind of confirmed what we saw all year, that he was like the fulcrum of one of the best college defenses we've seen in 10 years, certainly since that tw- probably 2011 Alabama squad. Um, and, and he was kind of the guy that in many ways made them go because he just... He wrecked games, but you don't know, like, similarly, like, you know, there's been big guys in college football before who haven't translated, but there haven't really been big guys with this kind of athleticism. I, I mean, the, the run is ridiculous. You know, people have pointed out, like, he, he ran a faster 40-yard dash than Patrick Mahomes did when, <laughs> when uh, it was his combine. Some of the other, uh, you know, numbers he broke. He had a, a 1 6 8 10-yard split, which was quicker than Jarvis Landry's. Jesus. Uh, at the combine he put up a 32 inch vertical which was higher than jamal charles jumped is all via nfl research and he did a 10-3 broad jump which uh bested jimmy graham who we should note was a basketball player that's the whole thing with jimmy graham so his athleticism's insane and what intrigues me for the ravens perspective is he, he knocks a few things he's getting younger on the defensive line which eric DaCosta mentioned Obviously, the knock is what is his pass rush upside. He's certainly not Aaron Donald, I don't think, at the NFL level. But the Ravens need a nose tackle. They probably, you know, this would be a natural replacement for Brandon Williams if we think it's the time. It's it's finally time to part with Brandon Williams. And you know, as much as running doesn't totally matter as much as it once did, it's still valuable to stop the run. And the Ravens have had like the number one rush defense for several, or top five for several years now. They were number one last year. As bad as their secondary was. <laughs> That's why. Um, <laughs> yeah. But uh, if you're wanting to part with, uh, you know, Brandon Williams, who knows with Derek Wolf, if Calais Campbell comes back but not with the Ravens, he would just be such a useful piece to kind of keep, to get younger and keep some stability and at the very least, you know, take up some double teams to maybe help your Adafa Elways shake loose on the outside. Uh help your Patrick Queens, your undersized linebackers uh, get to uh, not get caught in the wash. I, I am just so intrigued by Jordan Davis. And, and I, I, I think he was probably going to, you know, probably go in the top 25 anyway, but I, I think he, he solidified a, a top 20 spot um, for himself at the combine. 
and then I guess just to touch on, I mean, so so at this combine, basically it was a, a yeah, as I said, a reaffirmation that yeah, Georgia's defense was just full of dudes and that good because uh, they just had stunning athletic performances across Devonte Wyatt, who is 304 pounds played next to Jordan Davis, uh, you know, a much, a much uh, less or not quite 40 pounds lighter, but still obviously a massive man. He, he ran a four, seven, seven as well. <laughs> and then uh, um, I don't, I don't know if Wyatt will go in the first round. He might, he's, he's intriguing, but not quite as intriguing as Jordan Davis, in my opinion, but Trevon Walker ran a four five one at two hundred and seventy two pounds. So he is he played next to How those did two anybody and... gain a yard on this defense? Like, are you insane? Well, they did it for most of the year. <laughs> it's kind of Georgia games were very boring affairs for the most part this past season. They played very few actually exciting games. Uh um uh, a lot of them just grind it out. It was crazy to watch. And Walker, you know, I don't want to say he could get lost at times. He made quite a few plays. He had some standout games. Um, he ended last year with uh, seven and a half sacks, um, or six sacks, excuse me, seven and a half tackles for loss. Um, but, you know, he he's intriguing because of his size. He's huge. Uh, I believe he's 6'5", uh, 272. Um, but, uh, you know, he... He, he's described as versatile, which in some ways is good because the Ravens like that and others it scares me because I like to, you know, what do you do well? That's kind of, <laughs> I, I like that too. Um, but I've seen, he's obviously been a guy that's been marked uh, to the Ravens a ton. Uh, Danny Kelly at the ringer said shades of Rashawn Gary, which I think makes a lot of sense to Gary, you know, was I believe the number one recruit in his class. Didn't have like a ton of sacks, but very athletic, um, you know, uh, Kelly describes him as having infinite upside, <laughs> which is uh, intriguing. So I don't want to say he's a project. He's certainly more refined, I think, than Adafa Owe, but he's also not like, at least at present, you're not like just getting like 1986 Reggie White like added to your team or anything. I don't think. But he, he I mean, he was he was another key piece uh, to the Georgia front and just why they were you know so dominant. And he, in terms of like pass rush and stuff, he 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 really helped in, in that front for them. And so I'm intrigued. I, you know, there's things I like about Walker and he, he certainly compared to Davis can float to the edge more, probably help with the run, set the edge, et cetera. Your, your classic Jarrett Johnson type perhaps. But, uh, um, so he, he's very intriguing, but at the same time, uh, you, I just, I just keep circling back to Jordan Davis and <laughs> I want him on the Ravens so bad. So Jordan Davis is, I had to pick one that I, I don't even know if he'd help the Ravens the most, maybe Walker would in the long run, but certainly for me, Jordan Davis is the guy I just keep uh, wish casting to the Ravens more than any other. So qu- quickly off of all the things that have been said from uh from this position group if i'm a listener and i'm thinking or i'm saying shouting at the podcast player of my choice which uh could be any as the podlicker raven is on uh apple and spotify and many other apps and he's or she is screaming i don't wh- who's gonna bring the quarterback to the ground which has been the raven's issue for years who is that player of the name that we floated around who's the best at that you know specifically for that is that Ojabo who has come up from Michigan he's got like sort of the numbers to back it up or is there somebody else that is that like listen if this is what we want we want a proven pass rusher that's his niche and he's got the numbers to back it up 
which player would that be? Yeah, of, of the guys, as, as Tim mentioned, I mean, in a perfect world, somehow Thibodeau falls down, but that's just absolutely not happening. He's been penciled in number one, and same thing with Hutchinson in a lot of places as well. Uh, so I do think it's Ojabo in terms of the production, um, because I, I, I agree with, like, Wal- like, Walker I like, and I'm sure he's a guy, he's probably a guy the Ravens would like. Obviously, with Ojabo, you have the... Uh, the, the Mike McDonald factor, which, uh, lest we forget, Michigan's defensive coordinator is now <laughs> the Ravens, uh, you know, defensive coordinator who Ajabo had this big breakout. The concern certainly with him is he's the definition almost of a one-year wonder. He basically almost barely played as a, a sophomore. And then as a junior, he went off for 11 sacks. And the concern is you had 11 sacks, and uh, but you were playing opposite of the potential number one overall pick. That's obviously a concern. But yeah, that, that's what's kind of interesting. It's a super deep defensive line class, but in terms of the high end pass rushers, there's like, you know, it's 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 kind of hard to project. Like it seems like like Thibodeau and uh, Hutchinson are probably like the extent of the safe picks to be like this guy will have double digit sacks in the. Yeah, I think the other guy too to point out is a guy who was on that Georgia defense and then transferred to Florida State, and that's Jermaine Johnson the second. <laughs> Uh, because yeah, they were just like yeah, this is cheating. We have to get some guy off. Uh, he ran a four five eight on his first run in the forty six four, uh, almost six five, two hundred and fifty four pounds out of Florida State. Um, Daniel Jeremiah has him as his number eleven overall prospect on his big board. A couple mocks have him going earlier to the Giants after, like the guy after Hutchinson and Thibodeau. But that's another guy too that seems like just you know sack master. That if you know. It, master obviously you know a bit exaggerated but you know what i mean a guy that could put the guy on the ground podcast listener who is shouting at us right now as antonio laid out so maybe that guy is a guy that falls and again the other the other point we should say here too and i just want to reinforce it before we wrap this thing up i think there is going to be a player there for the ravens let's let's look at it i i think charles cross is going to be gone but if you want to throw him in there to be nice to jace let's do that you have Linderbaum there as well. If you'd like Trevor Penning, maybe you put him there, or maybe he's a little bit lower on that list. You look at a guy like Jermaine Johnson. You look at a guy like Ajabo. You look at Jordan Davis and Trayvon Walker. That's seven. Uh, you look at a guy like Sauce Gardner there, if, if they go corner, if they like corner. That's eight guys, and that is not including the two tackles that are going to go, Evan Neal and uh, uh, the guy over NC State. Don't have his name in front of me. Apologies. Akonwu, or you, you know who I'm talking about. Uh, it looks like Thibodeau, Hutchinson, that's 12 guys I just listed. Remember the Ravens pick at 14, and one of these teams is going to reach for a quarterback, or somebody's going to trade up. At least. Or, at yeah. least one is going to reach for a quarterback, whether it be Malik Willis or Kenny Pickett. Let's say both of those go before 14. That's 14 guys. Do the math. One of those guys is left at that Ravens spot at 14 if you like one of those. So, so I said I would end positive after being a little bit negative on the offensive line stuff. I think at 14, there will be a guy there, whether the Ravens like him, whether the Ravens value him at 14, obviously remains to be seen. But, you know, let's get excited. Draft season is fully here, and I can't wait. Uh, Any final names that we haven't brought up, guys, at at another position group, either in the secondary or, dare I say, a playmaking position on the offense? I was going to say wide receiver, Antonio, wide receiver? (laughs) Well, uh, just uh, one defensive lineman we haven't mentioned who uh, for I've never really seen mocked to the Ravens, though he's, I feel like, very similar to Trevon Walker in many ways is George Karloftis out of Purdue. 
Uh, not a huge sack guy, but was also pretty much constantly double and triple teamed because he was the good defensive lineman on Purdue, um, but had a ton of tackles for loss in his career. Uh, kind of an intriguing piece. Seems like a very sort of Ravens player, fundamentally sound. But um, for me, I mean, the two uh, non-defensive uh, line players, and it seems like... I, I, in my mind, it's not as much a position of need. I don't know if this is Jordan Davis drawing all my attention, but I would still not hate if the Ravens drafted Nicobe Dean at 14 or somewhere in the first round. The 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 linebacker out of Georgia, a little undersized, which that obviously that's what people was are a worried about. Patrick too, Queen, yeah. but um, you know, a like literal uh, engineering major, one of the smartest college football players in this draft. Uh, just a, a genius and a heat-seeking missile uh, in, in for my money, the funnest player, certainly, to watch all that Georgia defense, even though perhaps Jordan Davis was the most important. I mean, he just he just flies around, and I'm very intrigued by, by what he brings. He's kind of the opposite of Patrick Queen in a lot of ways, and just that, like, maybe the athleticism is a little less, um, at least in terms of the size, perhaps, which, uh, but... The instincts are all there, and the experience is all there. Basically, you know, almost captaining one of the great kind of defenses, being the man in the middle for them. But then the other linebacker that kind of people have circled a lot is uh, Devin Lloyd out of Utah, who's just a much, much bigger player. He, you know, he's he's three inches taller uh, than Nicobe Dean, and um, he's kind of a guy... I'm I'm a little intrigued by I, I you know it's not as high on my priority list as it was in the immediacy after the season, uh, after seeing you know Patrick Queen get dragged for first downs. But yeah. I would not hate if the Ravens get a you know a middle linebacker that they have been missing since they let C.J. Mosley walk. So um, if it's one of those two guys, I also think that could be a, a solid option at 14. I am distressed after our conversation that the Ravens are ultimately going to trade down and probably still get one of these guys, but in the moment it's always so upsetting when when, when the team trades down. So uh, that's my fear on draft night. But I, I am optimistic the Ravens are going to get a, a pretty solid player who's pretty much plug-and-play ready to go from day one uh, in this draft. Devin Lloyd, linebacker out of Utah, 110 tackles, 22 tackles for loss, and eight sacks? Oh, my. Uh... All right, I, I appreciate. It's intriguing. <laughs> oh my, uh, I appreciate both of your uh, in-depth analysis at, at a lot of different position groups and players, uh, and I look forward to to maybe doing a, the live. I mean, we're we're a bit away from the draft uh, yet, but I, I I envision the three of us doing some some video uh, some video conferencing as the draft is going on, and then the collective sigh when the Ravens move back three spots and then again five spots or something like that and acquire all the sixth round picks in the meantime. But uh, this was a nice primer and we will have more as we get closer to the draft and and do our own mock drafts uh, in a few weeks. But for now, I think the last thing left to do, Tim, is to go over this uh, conundrum of a random Raven one more time before we get out. Yeah, I'm kind of excited that I I stumped you guys here. Um... Uh, let's see. I'll just run through these quickly because I know we're running a bit long. This this Maryland native spent seven years in the NFL. He spent only one season in Baltimore. This player came into the league as an undrafted free agent in 2008 out of Hofstra, and he ended up leading the league in interceptions in 2011 with seven. He spent most of his career with an AFC powerhouse and was part of a, the team that won Super Bowl 49 over the Seattle Seahawks. 
Uh, number four, his only season in Baltimore was his last season in the NFL. He signed a three-year contract with the team in May of 2015. The following season, he played in 15 games with four starts, uh, recording 28 tackles, three passes defended, and a forced fumble. In 2016, he suffered a concussion that ultimately ended his career. And clue number five, with the Ravens, he wore number 24. But during his time in New England, he wore 24, 25, and 27 across six seasons in Foxborough. So, Antonio, the name I had come up with, and I don't totally remember if he played for the Ravens, so this could be a big hindrance. Uh, if the random Raven um, had a career as a Raven, that would be a, that would yeah, be a problem. But the number... The number with the Patriots, at least the one, made me think, is this Kyle Arrington? Holy moly. What a pick. I mean, I, I, it's Kyle Arrington. It's Kyle Arrington. It? Wow. Every time. You can't stump the Schwam. You can't do it. I thought I, I thought he might have gone to Boise, so I wasn't sure. The Hoffs it was Kyle well. Arrington. And I remember briefly wow. him playing with the Ravens, obviously, the one season. <laughs> yeah. Honestly, the thing that got it for me was none of the Ravens clues, but the Patriots one. <laughs> I was like, I was like trying to think. I was like, defensive backs who wore twenty four with the Patriots. I was trying to rip through them real quick. Uh, wow, what what a what a legacy he left in Baltimore. <laughs> Gwyn Park High School in Brandywine, Maryland. Holy moly, what a! I mean, it's it's the definition of a random Raven, and of course, Jace uh, was all over it. The guy who had four starts one season. Well done, Jace. Yeah. Uh, well, 2015. What a what a season in Ravens history. The source of. I was gonna say Ravens I can't wait for us to be show. done with every Raven <laughs> that played on that team. Oh man. Well, this was uh, look. It was fantastic to be back uh, after a little mini vacation. We're gonna probably, I'll say at this point, go back on the every two week track uh, and hopefully have some more information on the Ravens in terms of. Uh, who is still on the team, who is no longer on the team, maybe some contract information, and dare I dream uh, of a long-term contract for Lamar Jackson. But for now, uh, for Tim Horsey and Jay Evans, I am Antonio Barbera. Excited to be talking Ravens football for all of you again. We will see you in two weeks. Thank you so much for listening to Pod Like a Raven. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. 
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.